Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Jay Mason. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover, where we have interviews with people inside of the music industry and broadcasting and also give them their flowers while they are here with us. This interview is very special for me. If you grew up in eastern and central North Carolina like I did in the 80s and 90s, in early 2000s, you know this man's name and voice very well. Whether it's on K97.5 or Foxy 107.104, this man is influential in radio in North Carolina. Ladies and gentlemen, give a round of applause and welcome Mr. Cy Young to Beyond the Album Cover. Welcome, Cy. Thank you, man. Listen, if I need an intro guy, I'm calling you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. It's, it's man, good to be with you tonight. Man, I try to learn from you and Donnie Simpson, man. Uh, listen, that you that you put me uh, in the same league is a very nice thing. Uh, Donnie's one of those guys that, you know, he's matchless. When I was um, getting into radio, I won't go ahead of any questions that you had, but when I started, I, I never had anybody that I wanted to be like. I just wanted to be me, you know? And so I learned from a lot of different folks. Though. So anyway, I really appreciate you taking the time and thinking uh, enough of me to let me come hang out with you. Yeah, and a uh, big shout out to Donnie Simpson. He just got nominated to be in the Radio Hall of Fame. So hopefully he'll get the official word once voted and everything's done. So big up to Donnie Simpson. You can go to mm-hmm. YouTube to check out my archival interview with Donnie Simpson since BT is turning 40 this year. So we're going to go ahead and start it out with where did you get your love of music from and what was your first job in radio? Love of music from my mom and dad both sang. My mother sang background for Motown. She was a, a session singer. And my dad was into the arts. He did plays and with a kind of a Paul Robeson uh, what are you down, baritone. And he could sing. And, you know, he was in Riverboat or something like that. Showboat. And Days of Absence and several other productions. And so I've always been around music. Or music's always been in me. And, you know, that's how the music part came in. With regard to getting in the radio, I got my first internship when I was 17. I in Kansas City, Missouri, through the Urban League in Kansas City. I did that for a summer and then went to Tennessee State a couple of years later, and I was on my way to being a hardhead, so I had to go do something. And I got into school. I walked onto the basketball team, got hurt the first day of practice, and found out I was actually relatively intelligent and ended up finding some other things. Radio was one of them. And I started working at, um, a couple years later, worked at WTSU, which was Tennessee State University's carrier wave station. It was just broadcast on the campus. A guy named Danny Owens was the general manager at the time. And it's amazing because we don't realize how people influence us necessarily. But he ended up being the general manager, got me a job, my first paid DJ position. I worked midnight to six at a rock and roll radio station for three years in Nashville, Tennessee. That's how it started. That's the beginning of the story, certainly not the end. Wow. So uh, what was the wattage on your college station? Because where I did my college radio station shift at, we were only 18 watts. But luckily, there was live streaming, so that helped get the reach out there. Well, I would think more like three watts. It was barely off the campus. You could hear us on campus and on the block that surrounded the campus at Tennessee State University. That was it. And we didn't have streaming. That was way before the technology changed. So this was definitely back during the age of reel-to-reel cart and having live bodies in the studio. Absolutely. Absolutely. If your replacement didn't show up nowadays, they can push a button in the station and keep on playing. <laughs> Back then, you know, if your replacement didn't show up, you did the next shift. That's just the way it was. That was the rule. It was never contestable, you know, unless you had an emergency, but the dead air rule applied then. It applies now. If you work at a station where I'm running, it, you, you stay till, till the replacement gets there. That's the way it works. Yeah, trust me. I've had my fair share of dead air moments, automation cart, not playing right when you load it up in whatever software that you use. <laughs> And I know some of the bigger stations back in those days, they had that big cart carousel where you would load all your carts on. It would look like a big 
big old hunky computer, and I know the engineer stayed working because of the transmitter and then the case that your cart could end up misfiring and the tones be all off. <laughs> all of that is absolutely true. I had a friend of mine. We're friends now. We weren't friends the day that he did this. He didn't really resign. He quit. He told the program director, J.C. Floyd, I <clears throat> quit right now. And then he took the bulk eraser and slid the bulk eraser around half a rack of, <laughs> of carts on the carousel that turned. He turned it and did it up and down again and erased all the music for <laughs> I was re-recording music for about a week behind that. So. Oh man, so uh, a lot of those reels when you would do take for commercials or promos or what have you for those of you that are young enough to not remember cart, these will get passed around at the annual Christmas party as blooper reels. <laughs> they sure did. <laughs> those and the real reels, our guys would take your production reel. We all had our own 10 production reel. You know, you cut and saved all your good stuff and all your outtakes and they would take your outtakes and everything that we say when you get all the way to the end of a 60 second commercial and then you flub the line <laughs> or use the wrong inflection and you have to do the whole thing over again. Now you can just do, you can say the word and put the word in and keep it moving. But back then that wasn't that way. You know, I learned to operate either way. I'd like to think I was pretty good with a razor blade and splicing tape and a marking pencil. Right. That's why for me I say thank God for Adobe Audition because I also interviewed Walt Baby Love and I was telling him I could not have survived in your guys' era of radio because you really had to be on point with the cutting and you had to have precise hands because if you cut the wrong end of the tape, game over. You'd have made it, I promise you, because you'd have picked up that skill really fast. There was never an option of could you do it because if the PD, you know, I had some tough guys, Fred Harvey and J.C. Floyd, who used to drill me sometimes, a guy named Dan James way back in the day. And then when I was working midnight to six, I remember this has nothing to do with what we were talking about, but I remember it was midnight to six. Nobody was there. I put on Cashmere by Led Zeppelin, walked across the street to Galaxy Burger, got a quart of beer and two cheeseburgers. When I came back, the PD was sitting in the studio. I could have died. I thought yeah, I was going to die had, right there. Yeah, I've had my fair share of that, too. I would try to find maybe like an eight-minute record that I would play while I would walk across the street to Jimmy John's or the convenience store to give me something to eat or at least give me enough time to get a bathroom break because you better be back <laughs> in that booth by the time that song hits three minutes and some change. And there's yes, no sir. dead air. No dead yes, air allowed. And they will beat that into your head. And then also when you were working at the rock station in Nashville, were they very big on front selling and back selling? For those of you that don't know, front selling is teasing a song that's about to get played. Back selling is when you're telling about a song that's just been played. And this is when you had to manually know when your intros are cold and when songs end. So you really had to be tight and know your stuff in and out. Interesting that you would say that because I worked for an AOR, which was album-oriented rock. And so it was the most laid back of, you know, the rock format. You know, back then, if I wanted to, I've always been Cy Young on the radio. Cy Young. But back then I could have been, yo, man, this is Mr. Mellotone. Hey, how you doing? So I've got some Led Zeppelin coming up for you. I'm going to bring out that Leonard Skinner. You wanted to hear Freebird? I got that coming up. And, you, you know, that sell. But you did not talk over the music or the program director would, you know, we used to call it hotlining. When the PD calls you and asks you, what in the, mm, are you doing? <laughs> so... <laughs> I learned to, you know, we used to call it talk a ramp or, you know, walk up the ramp with your vocal and drop it off right when they start singing. Then you stop talking. And I learned that when I started working in urban radio. I worked at 92Q, which was WQQK in Nashville, Tennessee. Right. So, so by you working at AOR, were a lot of people shocked by the fact that, you know, you being African-American and on a format where there's not really a lot of African-Americans when you're out doing remotes and promos for the station. I got a real quick story to tell you. My first pay remote, I got $15 to run a half a mile. I was a cigarette smoker back then. 
and the remote was at 6 o'clock in the morning. I got off the air. Actually, the remote was at 7.15. I got off the air at 6, put on my gym shoes and shorts, my knee-high socks, you know, the ones with the, the tube socks that were up to your knees, and went and ran a half a mile. And the guy was like, well, it's, you know, it's a public service. So he gave me $20 out of his pocket to do it. But that was my first paid remote. And my first event, big event, the station was 103 KDF. 103 KDF, Nashville's best rock. And they had an event that was one of the biggest in the Mid-South called One for the Sun. And they had it at Hermitage Landing just outside of Nashville. And this place was like 20, 20,000 people packed every time. And it was on a lake. It was beautiful. First time introducing anybody. I introduced a guy who's super popular even now, Delbert McClinton. And so I walked out on stage. I said, what's up, everybody? My name is Cy Young. Dude, you could have heard a rat wet cotton. It was so quiet. <laughs> this dude way in the back said, but you're black. <laughs> and I was like, who said that? And the crowd bust out laughing. We had a good time. And for the rest of the night after that, I had Hells Angels and Outlaws and all these rock and roll dudes. It was really sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Not necessarily in that order, but it was a big part of the format. So when you left there, you went to the Urban Station out of Nashville. Was there a big transition switching it from one format to the other? It wasn't big. It was necessary. You mentioned just a few minutes ago, we were talking about like talking up the ramp of a song or talking up the intro of a song. And it was a new urban radio station. So the format quicker. You know, AOR is kind of a laid back, hey, yo, dude, what's happening? Let's smoke a bowl. Come on, have a good time. That kind of stuff. Urban radio was, it was early. It was 1983. So urban radio wasn't, was it was still in its infancy. It was quick. You know, we talked up, hey, that was, so you're coming out of, by the way, I just got to playing that cooling game for you. Don't leave now because if you do, you're going to miss Evelyn Champagne King. I'm going to hit you with some earth, wind, and fire. Oh, wait a minute. You wanted to hear Richard Dimples Fields? I got that coming up, too. Don't go anyplace. Stay right here. This is Cy Young. You're listening to K- or 92Q. And so the difference in the energy was it wasn't difficult for me after I got over. You know, I was usually nervous. First day, it's kind of like preaching. I'm not a nervous person, but preaching and the first time you crack a mic on the radio station, no. <laughs> it can be, be nerve-wracking. Yes, it sure can. Um, have you seen the movie Private Parts about Howard Stern? Yes, I have. Do you know the scene where he was playing, I think it was Deep Purple, Smoke on the Water, and all of yeah. the cards fell onto the record player? <laughs> that is what I, I, I thought that. my... I that is what, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> yeah, 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 that is what I thought my first on-air shift at the college station was going to be like because we were using Denon's CD cards and everything was loaded into all your vault, like PSAs, news, and everything like that. So uh-huh. I thought that it was going to be that moment for me. But once I first cracked that mic open, I was like, oh, I know I could do this because, like I was telling you before, I studied Jews, studied Donnie Simpson, Don Cornelius. So kind of had a handle on what to do. But I also had to keep a steady eye on the cassette deck in the studio because I used to <laughs> tape all of my air checks. And yeah. I used to use 120-minute TDK cassette tape. And me and yep. my buddy, we would go run to Walmart and get like a four pack so I could make sure I have enough to record the full two hours of the show. I still got like two shoe boxes worth of my I, show. I, 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 think I, I think I do too. Now, I hope the tapes at some point, you know, I, I still got a, a cassette player. Um, and I noticed the last time I tried to I put a cassette in, it, it held a cassette, but it wouldn't play. So, but, you know, it's old equipment. And um, I remember, I think back in the day, I might have paid 99 or $100 for it and got quite a bargain for my JVC dual cassette player that doesn't work anymore. <laughs> so, right, so. right. But you thought you were big time if you had a cassette player, if, if it oh, had really? auto-reverse. Yes, auto-reverse. Yes, had it. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, sir. Right, right. So the format of the Urban Station out of Nashville, was it more similar to kind of what Frankie Crocker had in place um, at WBLS? You know, I would like to say, oh, yeah, but Frankie was advanced. You know, he had been in the business 15 years when I got there, you know, when I started. There were a lot of guys that wanted to be like Frankie. You know, the, he was he was smooth. He was a smooth dude. I wasn't there yet. But I was, you know, and I, I didn't have anybody that I wanted to pattern myself after. I just wanted to be me. And to be able to, once I learned to do that and to how to do, a, you know, to construct a break properly and prepare for it. So by the time I, you know, the record's fading out or, or the song is fading out and you have, you know, you can you can see it count down 15, 10, 5, start talking. And you better have something. Every time you crack the mic, it, it was supposed to, you're supposed to give your listeners a payoff. Give them some information, um, make them smile or laugh, make them feel good and do it all in like 10, 15 seconds and get gone. Right. They're definitely big on not talking over, not talking under, and you have that little sheet in the studio that has all the contact numbers, hotline numbers, <laughs> whatever promo you got going on. Plug it every stop set you get. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And now I just put a new radio station on the air July 4th. It's for St. Augustine's University. It's called Falcon Fly Radio. That was a cheap plug. I apologize. Um, no, 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 no. Plug, plug all you want. So, Falcon Fly Radio is a hip-hop radio station, and it's a lot of fun. So right now, there's no talking because we don't have any students on campus. It's music and drops. Music and drops, and that's all it is. Yeah, that's we know a new station is up on the air, or if a station is about to stunt, for those of you that don't know, stunting means when one station is about to flip from one format to another, and they normally will put on a format or something that's out of the blue until the new station launches. And before one people, we're going to be using a lot of radio terminology. So we're going to try to break it down and explain it to you for those of you that's not in the know. There you go. <laughs> How did you find out about WQOK, South Boston, Durham, Raleigh, K97.5? I found out about that because I was working at WDJY in Washington, D.C. And I was the third PD in about, let's see, Brute Bailey, left this is around october of 1988 brute bailey was a pd had been there for years uh, he was let go brute's a friend of mine then they brought in a guy from new orleans who who had a monster track record and a monster radio station called wyld in new orleans and his name was ty bell ty was there for one week one week we were not friends but you know comrades in the business you know so he was leaving and i was walking in and he he smiled at me, shook my head, shook my hand and gave me a hug and said, hey, man, you be careful. <laughs> and so I was there. I said, okay, well, you know, you want to tell me what to look out for? He said, oh, you'll figure it out real fast. And I did. And it just was, you know, there was a lot going on. They had just had a change in ownership, not ownership, change in management. And best morning guy I think that I've ever heard was a guy named B.J. Johnson. And B.J. was, um, matter of fact, there's a, an ESPN guy named Stan Verrett who was our intern when I was there. And Stan Red is a big-time ESPN sports analyst and announcer, and he, he's excellent. He was hungry and sharp way back then. But DJY, I was there for 30 days. On about the 25th day, I, I just wasn't feeling the vibe of D.C. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I'm one of those odd guys. So for anybody who's listening who loves D.C. and lives there, it's not you. <laughs> it was me. And I, I didn't like D.C. I didn't like the vibe. And um, I was going to resign. And... The consultant at the time was my old PD, J.C. Floyd, and a guy named Don Kelly. They consulted us in Nashville. So J.C. came to my office. He said, um, hey, bud, everything good? I said, well, mm. he said, Si, you know they're going to shoot you at the end of the week. Shoot you at the end of the week in, in radio means they're going to fire you on Friday. 
And so I said, well, I figured. I said, plus, I'm ready to go, man. I'm, I'm just not feeling this. He said, well, why don't you take a PD job in Raleigh? And I said, this is not a joke. I said, Raleigh? Where is that? He said, come on, Cy. I said, you mean like like the big city of Raleigh, like Mayberry? He said, no, dude, it's not like that. I tell you what, call the, you know, let me give you the general manager's number, and you call him. And so I called him. We talked, and I got hired over the phone. I went from making a nice, healthy D.C. salary and bonuses to <laughs> treat me like I'm a scrub, like I was brand new. They offered me 35 to start, and I accepted it because I was ready to get out of D.C., $35,000 a year plus bonuses. And then when I got there, and I noticed my check was wrong in the first week. And, I mean, you know, that's, that's my first paycheck. And it was because they said, well, we decided that we feel like you're damaged goods, and so – you know, we're going to pay you 30. And I said, okay. So I said, oh, you know, I know that, that they were going to turn me into the track date king. And so I would have artists in all the clubs, you know, for, for the weekend. And we had a good time. And, we, you know, I made that money back several times, Made you know. But it was a necessity. And that's how we made it happen. And, and then while we were doing that, we made the station really popular. There was always something going on. Before I got there, QOK had Destiny's Child for their Christmas party. And they came and sang... With Matthew Knowles, with Beyonce's dad, brought them, and they did the Christmas party with tracks. You know, they did a track date for them. And so we all know what happened, what has happened since, that their careers have all taken off, and, you know, they're all superstars as a unit, but also individually, particularly one young Beyonce. So, you know, I'd love to say that that was me, but it wasn't. It was just before I got there. And then, right. uh, you know, but since we we did some research, and when I got in there, it was 97.5 K-Power, because they were trying to pull a little bit from Power 97 in Greensboro. And um, it wasn't working, because Greensboro's another market. But we had a 100,000-watt station on a 1,100-foot tower. So you mentioned that you guys were trying to take what was going on at Power 97 in Greensboro just before 102 Jams came on. Right. Now, at this time when you went down to K97, did the studios move from South Boston, Virginia, to Raleigh at that point? Um, I, I don't I think recall. it was off a fall of news, I think. Uh, no, we were on Six Forks Road, 8601 Six Forks Road. And I never worked in South Boston. As far as I know, the plan was because we were licensed to South Boston, but we with our antenna and Optimod, and there's one other piece that I'm forgetting. But our tower and transmitter were in Oxford, North Carolina. And you could hear us all over the east, down east, and sometimes almost in Charlotte, and you could hear us in Greensboro. We had an excellent signal back in the day. Yeah, yeah, definitely a strong signal because, like I was saying to you, I grew up on K97 coming in blasting hot, clear and i didn't know this that at the time foxy 107 was in the same format as you all before they flipped to urban ac i did not know that do you know jay for real they, when i moved here the guy that owned foxy was a guy named at the time was a guy named phil morella and phil was trying to buy the station that i was working at in nashville wqqk phil was trying to buy that and he talked about having uh or class a the low power fm radio station that was killing a giant in Raleigh, North Carolina. And they were. They were whooping K97.5, but it wasn't K97.5. Remember, it was 97.5 K Power. You know, for Joiner Broadcasting that owned 97.5, we <laughs> – I don't like to lose. And I'm kind of competitive, and so I had a, a team of people who were smarter than me and more talented, and we 
started walking in lockstep. And over the years, we, you know, got with a research company called the Research Group, changed it from 97.5 K power to K97.5. It was not an accident. We did a lot of research. We actually got that pattern net from K97 in Memphis, WHRK. It was programmed by some friends of mine and a young lady named Pam Wells. And I want to say that Terry Avery came through there at one point, but I may be wrong on that. But um, we did a lot of research and... We had a sales team. You, you know, our sales team was among the best I have ever seen at the time. And they told the story. All our remotes, we were just everywhere. And what we ended up doing, because Foxy was really, Foxy is the heritage urban in the market. And they came on in like 86, I think. And, you know, Alvin Stowe was the first program director for that urban. They had a big footprint. And, I, you know, I, I just don't like people hanging out in the format. We just, <laughs> so we. We we didn't vanquish them, but we made them change format. Right. So you worked in Nashville, D.C., Raleigh. Now, is there a difference when programming records for a station based on what region you're in? Not really. There's a difference in, in selection. But Nashville is Mid-South, and most people, you know, I had an ongoing discussion with the folks after Clear Channel sold us to Radio 1. This is much, much later in about 2000. 2001, and there was a guy who was VP of programming at the time whose name I will not call because he might appear, and they were saying, well, you know, Cy, Raleigh's the dirty south, and I said, well, you should come here sometimes. We got buildings and cars and everything, and the point was that Raleigh is much more urbane. It's, it's a southern city for sure, and genteel kind of, but the people here are, by and large, from other places. There's this place, there's a lot of transients here. And so, you know, people come in, they live here, um, and then they move to the other places. And then we have Research Triangle Park here. There's a lot of colleges and universities. In Raleigh alone, there's St. Augustine's University and Shaw University. So, so we have HBCUs immediately. We have North Carolina State, Carolina out in Chapel Hill, Duke University, Wake Forest up the road. This is a big old college town, a lot of people coming and going. And the population is growing. And we knew that, and we knew that the tag that they wanted to give us, that the dirty South Town, it just didn't fit, just didn't fit. And so there are some people, I think, that think hip-hop has to be grimy. And I never agree with that. I don't think it has to be. I think you, you make it grimy. You right. can class up anything, right? You have to, <laughs> you might have to put a little lipstick on and make it pretty, but, you know. Mm. So back during the mid-'80s when rap was really starting to take hold and get airplay, at this time, it really wasn't in regular rotation. It was what we call in the industry day parting, where it sure. would be on during late overnights on weekends, where when the Fed, what we call the Arbitron Diaries, where they would show your ratings, every season and depending on how well you did in your market you get bonuses yeah buddy <laughs> so bonuses, so how did you manage yeah yeah you gotta gotta love it when those sales people meet those hit those quarterly meetings and you hit your shares and all of that so how did you yeah, manage sir. to weave in rap in a playlist at a time where you were still kind of hearing luther sade anita you're more Upwardly mobile, classy R&B. That's a great question. We used that day parting system, and we used it, I'd like to think, really efficiently because we knew that we had a lot of adult women listening in the midday. So, you know, we'd play Sade and, and Anita Baker and Luther Vandross and Jeffrey Osborne, and I know I'm missing somebody and I don't want to, Patti LaBelle. And those are, you know, nice, easy artists. 
Um, doesn't mean that you just drag the tempo down and make it all slow all through the midday. Otherwise, people won't listen because it's too sleepy. You know, the sound is too sleepy. But what we did was, you know, from mornings was upbeat and fun, and then middays kind of chill, and then afternoons around 3 o'clock, the music, the energy picked up because whoever was doing it, if it was uh, Chris Connors was one of my favorite afternoon guys, one of my favorite DJs. And it's funny because I was his PD, and then when I started working at Foxy, he was my PD. <laughs> you know, so it pays to treat people well. And so we ended up, you know, using that day parting system. So by the time, you know, around 6 o'clock, we'd start dropping, you know, we'd drop some hip-hop, and it might be the Ghetto Boys, you know, or whatever was popular or whatever was popular, Roxanne Sante or Roxanne Roxanne or The Real Roxanne or whatever, you know, whatever the song was or, you know, like um, the, I don't know if you remember song, uh, was Pee Wee's Dance, something like that. Just to Love? Get off the, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and then... And then by the time, you know, a nighttime show, our night shows usually had, I'm trying to remember if it was Thomas Hill or Dr. John who had the highest share I ever saw on a night show. But I know that um, Thomas did the quiet storm. From 7 to 10, we'd bang it out in the 10 o'clock quiet storm. And, dude, we might be swinging a 40 share by 11 o'clock. Wow. That is crazy. And I say to people all the time, because of K97 and your morning show especially, I know Pull up to my bumper by Grace Jones because you guys <laughs> will use that record for your talk bed. That's my traffic bed, yeah. Yep, yep. Roadhog. Yep, yep. very good. I, I'm excited to find that. I have that somewhere. I just don't remember where. Yeah, there's actually an air check on YouTube. It was a short brief one. It was from fall of 89. It was from your morning show. It had that traffic bed. It had a little bit of the coffee tone. Then it yep. went into Off the Hook by RJ's latest arrival. RJ's latest and then arrival. Before, yeah, I remember that. Yep. Right. And then before it went into Jermaine Jackson, Don't Take It Personal, there was a young lady that was commenting about how the signal was coming in loud and clear with no static. Yep. Yep. I remember. Yeah. So what was it about Pull Up to My Bumper that led you to want to use that as the traffic bed? I got to give credit where it's due. I inherited that from the morning man before me. And, and you know, I was a pretty good morning guy, but smoking Tony Richards was the morning man that I he left to go to. I want to say he went to D.C. And the brother was bad. He was a bad dude and super creative. And so it was initially it was smoking Tony Richards in the Wake Up Patrol. He and I got into a heated discussion one day because he was, I'm leaving. I said, well, you know, see, he said, well, you'll never be able to do what I've done in the morning. And I said, we'll see. But you need to know that I did mornings in Nashville before I came here. So I'll be all right. And so, you know, <laughs> I was, we were all learning all the way around. I can't say enough that I had people who were super, super talented that surrounded me the whole time I was working. Right. And this was back in the days, people, where everything wasn't in a computer or if it was, it was in its infancy, where you had your powers, your mediums, your lights, and a little bitty, looks like a card holder, and you have all five, your power five. songs. Yep. That was your rotation. Now everything's on the computer. Right. So was it back then where there was super shit where only play your powers here, only play your mids, here, or did you guys kind of take the hot hit formula where at the top of every hour, make sure you had a strong song or songs lined up in order to keep your time listener, listening space? We never played a new song out of the ID. We, we always played, um, it was either a recurrent or what we called a state current, um, which had been, you know, that's, the state currents came out of the power rotation, but it was usually either a recurrent or a gold. So it was always something that everybody knew and it was, it was always a hit, always a monster. Right, and I know some stations, they have different definitions as far as what is considered to be 
a gold song, what is considered to be recurrent. Now, what was the rule at K97? What classified as a gold record and a recurrent record? And how long did they stay in those rotations? You know, current, it really depended. And I can get more research now in my cell phone than we had, you know, that you could that you could get back then looking at all the trade magazines. By the time trade magazine came out, like R&R or Billboard or Hitmakers or um, Urban Network, one of those, we had a little bit more subtle approach. My kids used to go to an urban high school. And so I used to give, give them music and say, listen, take these and let your friends listen to them. If they like it, let them have it. Let them have it, and I'll give you more. And, and uh, you know, and, but I need you to tell me what, what they like. So that was one of the things we always do that. And we stayed, you know, I, I always kept, kept a van there. I had people going to the high schools around between Durham and Raleigh. And, you know, we just showed up. So it was part of that was the community. But with regard to the music, I used, you know, a lot of feedback. People would, I was paying attention. And then we had, you know, I had a call out team. That I used to call, <laughs> this is going to sound wicked, but I had a, a call-out team that used to call and request other radio stations and ask for the most whack records and call them often and ask for them so we could influence, negatively influence other stations' playlists. Wow. Hey, you got to do what you got to do, man. It is very cutthroat, very competitive because I believe by you guys being in the Raleigh-Durham market, you guys didn't really have any competition as far as with Kiss out of Greenville, Soul 92 out of Rocky Mount, and the big stick, Foxy 99 down in Fayetteville. It's funny you should say that. We had a, a call where, you know, my contemporaries, my counterparts that worked on, it was at Radio 1, and it happened at Clear Channel, too. They would say, well, Cy, you don't have any competition. I said, well, please don't tell the other 41 radio stations that. They'd like to think that they could beat me. And most of the time, you know, we stayed number one or number two a long, long time. Not just in the format, we were number one period or number two period. And so that gives us, give my DJs and me a little bit of swag. You know, we just, <laughs> you can't tell me anything. I'm already number one. Now, here's what happens when, when people think like that. You get knocked off. And so we got knocked off a few times, but you know, I was just looking at the ratings and you know, Fox is number one in the market now. Right. And so they've been doing, and you know what? I'll take credit. They haven't done a whole lot of different than what, what they were doing when I was there. Thank you very right. much. Right. Right. Big credit to you. Now, the big thing for me was always seeing that station promo van whenever you will pull up for a remote or when they do the, if we spot you with the bumper sticker, you win X amount of dollars for your station. Oh, yeah. Everybody's trying to break their net to get to wherever gas station, <laughs> restaurant, or whatever that van will pull up at because they want to get either a sticker or shirt or whatever you got out of that promotion. For or, or these back in the days, it was cassettes and 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 vinyl give away vinyl um you know we i used to love this about you know working at, at k97.5 we had the general manager um at the time was john broomfield and he was real good about listen you guys go get this promotion but i hope these promotions pay off so we do a ten thousand dollar giveaway or a ten thousand dollar shopping spree the build-up so we do 97 you know every time every winter for the 97.50 every time they won or a hundred dollars sometimes it's just a straight a hundred dollars but they also registered for the grand prize drawing, and we did that as an event. We'd be downtown on Fayetteville Street Mall and great big buildup. And then we, from that event, we would leave in a limo and go shopping with the 10 grand. Now, I don't know if you could do that now without somebody trying to knock your head off. But back then, it was a lot of fun, and, um, you know, there's something to hype. You know, hype works if applied properly. Right. And the big thing about, we mentioned the Quiet Storm, which is credited to WHUR and the late, great Melvin Lindsay. Um, the, the Quiet Storm, it was a time where you're a young man. You're looking to pursue that young lady. 
You call in the station, get that dedication, say her name, and then by the end of the week, y'all were going together. Oh, absolutely. You had a new sweet thing. Absolutely. Yeah, or you'll be broken up by the time the end of the week and you go to the high school dance after the game. But that's the memory that radio elicits for a lot of people. And it was a time where radio broke records. Were there any records that K97 personally broke before any of the other markets caught on? I'm standing down here in my daddy cave. It's full of gold and platinum records. So I have, as an example, I've got Whitney Houston. I've got Missy Elliott. This is not a test. Some TLC. Michael Jackson's bad. Uh, I'll tell you one that I broke here, Vision of Love by Mariah Carey, which I believe was her first single, her first record, and it was a record back then. Tennessee by Arrested Development and Mary J. Blige. Mary J. Blige came to my office one day with a friend of mine named Voodoo. Voodoo 610 and weighs about 150 pounds. And Mary had on dark glasses. It's 9 o'clock at night. I want to say it was a Friday night, and they were on their way to doing some club gig in the area. I'm not sure which club. And I remember, you know, she had these dark glasses on, and she was real salty. And he introduced us, and she was giving me, you know, one... Yeah, no. We weren't on the air, so she was, but she was sitting in my office and I, I said, I said, Mary, take off your glasses. You okay? And she was mad and she had been dealing with you know who, mm-hmm. whose name shall not be mentioned. And they had just had a blowout and I think I got the impression that she had been crying. And so we just talked and I encouraged her. I had, had a chance to really just let her talk and be. And you know what? She was really cool back then. And I'm sure she's even more cool now. Right. And I was looking at George Michael's documentary that he did before he passed. And they were talking about, of course, how when Faith blew up, he was getting airplay on R&B radio. But at this time, it was called Black Radio. And how there was a big backlash when he won two American Music Awards for Best Urban Album of the Year and Best Urban Artist. And they felt like, you know, you're white. You don't belong in the urban category. And I was telling people, hey, New Kids on the Block, they were marketed as an R&B act, too. Please Don't Go Girl was pushed to R&B. They did an R&B version of the video on BET before Pop got a hold of it. That's right. That's true. All true. All true. Right. So was there ever an artist that you were shot by that received heavy rotation that you thought, like, man, this record's not going to be nothing. But a little to your surprise, it was like one of the most requested. I'm trying to think if it was Careless Whisper. It's one of those. And there was a Hall and Oates song that just would not go away. And I wish I could remember what it was. But, you know, I think everybody, all of us, has a song... You know, there's a song that comes on the radio, and you know all the words to it, but if you hear it one more time, you swear you're going to throw up. You know, that comes from, I've used it, so, you know, those stations that have what we call high rotation format, where you keep hearing the same songs, and people say, you know, there's a, I'm not going to give away all the secrets, but there's a thought behind why stations play those songs all the time. I'll tell you that in a minute. But, you know, when you hear a song, you start listening to the radio around 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, and then around 10 o'clock, you hear the, that saying that power rotation, that, that power rotation, so you hear those A's again. You hear those songs again, and you're thinking, y'all keep playing the same songs over and over and over again, over and over and over again. And that's never an accident. Because the truth is, we know, as programmers, that most people live their life even now outside of living through a pandemic. So let me qualify this. But, you know, if you have to be at work at 8 o'clock, typically you're going to leave at 7.15, 7.30 to be there at 8 o'clock. If you live further away, you'll leave 15 minutes or 30 minutes earlier, but always on the quarter hour. And so we know that. We know that because we program to your lifestyle. I want to... In mornings, I would never play songs that were too adult, 
or unless it was a loser song, you could get away with laying down a loser song at 7.30 in the morning and everybody was, I'm going to tell you, baby, and, and just sing with him. You know, it was um, a lot of fun. We knew as programmers that there are people who are going to listen to the radio from 6 in the morning till 6 the next morning and be mad at you because you keep playing the same song. So sometimes you can't say to a listener, well, why don't you do something else for a few minutes? <laughs> Take a break. But what you can say is, man, listen, I'm going to play your song in just a minute. I'm really glad you listened to them. What's your name? So I can shout you out. And you love on them and keep it moving. Right. And K97, I believe, was one of the rare stations that I've heard where it was live and local, where a lot of stations now and then used a lot of syndicated shows to fill in air slots. So what was the creed oh, yeah. behind being live? and local and not using any syndication. I'm glad you asked that question. I still feel like this. When they took my show off the mornings and took me off the mornings and put Tom Joyner on, that was probably a smart move. <laughs> so it was Tom Joyner in the morning and Cy Young in the afternoon. And then this new phenom came along, Michael Bazin, later on. And my general manager was straight panicked. Oh, my God, because Bazin was chewing people up, you know, as far as ratings are concerned. And I know Michael. Michael learned that he used to come and sit in on my show sometimes, you know, to learn how to do it. Now, I didn't know he was trying to – it wasn't Michael that tried to you know, get on the afternoons because, you know, it was the natural for him to want to be on – some kind of media so he could sell his books, get in the movies, and grow. That's our nature. That's human nature. I just think that Michael Basin, they're not going to see Michael, you know, because they see Cy Young at Walmart or see Trey Taylor down in South Carolina or Chris Connors, who's down in Columbia, South Carolina, or Brian Dawson. You know, Brian's going to be hanging out. And you might see Brian walking into Target or going to the CBS or, you know, walking into the club. Might see me going to church one morning, or I might, because I am a minister. And you might walk in one day and, and then, you know, it's funny to have people go, anybody ever tell you you sound like Cy Young on the radio? <laughs> so it's kind of funny. But yeah, I've heard that a lot. But people never expect that. They're going to see the people. Let me rephrase that. They see the people and it makes us much more real and touchable. I, I, do, I wouldn't treat anybody. You know, I, I like to treat people good because you just never know who you're talking to. You don't. Right. Like they're special. Right. And for those of you that don't know, these syndicated shows, they're all out of a centralized location and they do <sighs> localized drops to make it sound yep. like they are actually there. That's the little secret that some stations don't want you to know. Nope. They don't want you to know. When QOK had a young lady named Sheena J doing Middays, and the company at the time, Radio One, was trying to get me to unsuccessfully because I bought it, but they wanted to take Sheena off and bring in somebody who was doing Middays in Richmond. And, you know, QOK. Okay. At the time, we were a community-based station. We were everywhere. If there was somebody hungry, we paid their bills. You know, the bottom groceries, we paid light bills. And that wasn't always as a promotion. It was just because we had the means and the network to be able to do a lot of good things for a lot of different people without the expectation of any reward. A lot of that time was just the right thing to do because we could. And if you go on YouTube, there is a video. It was called DJs on TV. This was when Fox 50 was independent at the time, WRZ 50. They went into K97 and Foxy and they had a little bit of the Jam Brothers morning yeah. show and then also had your stint over on Foxy 107-104. Now for those of you that don't know the 104.3 frequency I believe it was originally Katie Country and they yes, ended what? up flipping that to get more reach of Tarboro and more of my neck of the woods yep. in they, rural northeastern uh, North Carolina. It was a pretty smart move to buy the frequency the 104 frequency and then that was the only way we were going to get any real reach you know with Foxy 
Foxy. Foxy was a 2,600-watt station with about a 400-foot tower, 300-foot tower. So we covered Durham because the station at the time was licensed to Durham, North Carolina. But And then QOK was licensed to South Boston, but really was a Raleigh radio station. You know, you could hear 97.5 QOK all over the place. And so we needed to make sure that Foxy had that same kind of coverage, which is why they brought the 104 and put it in 107. And then, you know, they flipped the format and made it, in, you know, the uh, urban AC. And the rest is history because they're, 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 still, they're still killing it. They're right. killing it. Yep. Right. And were there some AM stations that you listened to growing up that was your favorite? Because this was back in the day when AM ruled and back when you had daytimers where you had to drop your wattage at night to protect the frequency of the bigger stations because some stations in some of the bigger markets could reach as far as the Carolinas or even further south, depending on how much oh, state they blew out. I was born in Michigan, so, you know, I listened to, we could hear um, 1510 WLAC out of Nashville. There was a guy named Spider Harrison that I used to really like. Um, and then there was, when we moved to Chicago, Chicago was wonderful for me. And I wasn't even really into radio at the time. I just was into you know, listening to you know, the music. And so, because there was not many black FM radio stations at the time, but there was a lot of really, really well done black radio stations on the AM band in uh, in Chicago. And they were popular. And some of the best DJs I've ever heard were there. There was a guy named E. Rodney Pope. I think it was E. Rodney Pope. He made Don Cornelius sound like a six-year-old. And just, yeah. you know, just, yeah, dude, the pipes of life. And if you, you can ever find it, if you ever find a, I met him late in his life. He was probably 60, 65 when I met him. Um, and dude, when, you know, this, there was a guy that they found on the, his name was Ted something and he had come on hard times and he ended up being an internet sensation and, um, you know, somebody hired him. Um, he was a homeless guy, you know, and he was having a bad time. He was soliciting for money to get some food and some radio executive heard him and they hired him, got him a place to live, clean him up, got him a job, and, and he was doing real well for a while. E. Rodney Jones made him sound like a little boy. Wow, man, that's crazy. Yeah, um, did you, just... That's crazy. Did you ever hear CKLW out of Windsor, Canada? Not that I can remember, though I'm sure I did. The only time I've ever been to Canada was in Windsor. Wow. Yeah, I found that kind of interesting with Windsor being so close to Detroit that a lot of records were getting played that U.S. audiences wouldn't have heard on U.S. stations by them being a Canadian station. Now, right. did you ever attend uh, BR? <laughs> or Jack the Rapper? Um, I was, I've been to two Jack the Rappers, two BREs, what used to be the National Association of Black Programmers, NABPC. I was the president for the Carolinas. And so those, yeah, dude, I've, I've been to some of those. Um, right. <laughs> they were fun, informational. If you went to the, you know, some people never went to the, the information part. <laughs> but but yeah, I learned uh, a lot. Uh, yeah, I got the Jack the Rapper book and some of those stories in there. I'm like, woo, if walls could talk. That's it's, all I'm going to say. It's, 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 it's the stories. That they didn't put in the book. <laughs> that if you ever get a chance to talk to um, DJ Slide, S L I D E, Michael Prince has more stories about that place. And that guy was, you know, he's a hustler. He's still really one of the best production people I've ever heard. Super talented, super creative. And he's right. here. He's local. Yeah. Wow. And you told me something earlier that I never knew about K97. I never knew that before you guys flipped Imogen that it was originally K-Power. So when did yeah. that switch occur? Let's see. I came to that station in 88. And by 90, I think, 90 or 91, we had gotten with the research group 
and we did a lot of research. This is where we learned that people typically identify their radio stations by frequency and not by call letters, by frequency and not necessarily by their slogan. And so, you know, when you see a casual conversation, hey, what's that station you listen to? I think it's 107 or 97, and they don't necessarily give the point because it could be 97.1 here. You can hear QMG in Raleigh, North Carolina, or down there you used to be able to hear 97.5 in Greensboro. Sam Weaver was a program director there for a while and used to call me from his parking lot and say, bruh, why is your station coming in clearer than mine in my parking lot? What are you doing? <laughs> Make it stop. And so, you know, it's been a good ride, dude. Yeah, because I can remember making those trips down 85, going back and forth from home to Greensboro while I was going to school. And I would hear 1097 from the time I hit the Warren County line. And right when I got to, I want to say maybe the Orange Alamance line, that was when yeah. the frequency cut off because a couple of years ago, the signal dropped and the tower for 1097 got moved to Carborough, correct? Or done. I wouldn't right. better check on it. <laughs> Right, so that kind of sort of limited that reach into rural northeastern North Carolina where I grew up because now you can pretty much hear stations out of Rocky Mount, your local stations and run rapids welding. And then depending on what day it is, you could probably pick up stations out of the Petersburg and Richmond market since yeah. close to Virginia. They did that because they were actually trying to get a better city-grade signal so they could be heard with a thicker signal in the metropolitan area for Raleigh-Durham. We didn't even say Raleigh-Durham-Chapel Hill. We just say Raleigh doing area which encompasses all of it so how did you end up going into the ministry <laughs> God called me. Didn't use a telephone either. My dad, Cy Sr., was a minister, and his father was a minister, and I absolutely was not going to do that. Nope, didn't mean me, you, you know, because you already got two of us, and so I'm surely you're talking about somebody else but not me. And I had um, three, I call them reminders, um, but really it was God saying, hey, listen, you know, there's a colloquialism that says, oh, I think you don't believe fat meat is greasy. And so... God was telling me, listen, you're going to do what I tell you or I won't let you sleep. And so I went for about six months without a full night's sleep <laughs> until, until, until I felt like I needed, okay, 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 God, I, I submit. It was, now, I'm, I'm leaving a lot of things out because, you know, this is pretty public, but I had a lot of prayer time. And, you know, I'm one of those guys that sometimes, you know, you got to show me. You show me that because I don't believe. And um, he really, 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 really showed me some things. And I'm not sorry for a second that I made that move. Right. And where is the church that you currently are working out of? The church is the Fountain of Raleigh. Pastor is Reverend Paul L. Anderson. And there is about nine associates. I'm, I get to say I'm the senior associate because I'm the first one that was ordained at that church. But I was actually ordained as an AME minister in um, 2000. Oh, man. Yeah, um, my dad is a pastor of a church down in Camden, South Carolina, and mostly really? right on that. Yes, sir. Mostly everybody on that side of the family is involved in the cloth, some way, shape, form, or fashion. You're either going to be working for the church or serving the people's children by being an educator. So I dabble to educate. you're going to serve. Yes, sir. You're yeah, gonna you're going to serve in one way or the other. So I dabbled in education for about three years as a special ed teacher. Um, uh -huh. did radio for a little over 10 years, got out of it, felt kind of, it's not what I wanted to do because of the way that everything was going with formats and syndication going everywhere, not a lot of freedom. And how sure. do you feel about with the way everything is now with streaming coming in and radio not really having the same impact like it once was because of the internet uh, and the rise of streaming services? Remember, I just told you, I just turned on the streaming station. We call it a soft launch because I'm still in a beta stage, but I was put in a situation where, you know, I, we want to hear it right now. So sometimes when producer names a song, you have to dance. <laughs> you know? And so 
we turned it on knowing full well that I have to add some things to it and I'm tweaking the music, but I think that streaming has its place. I don't think terrestrial radio is dead. I think part of what kills terrestrial radio is people's unwillingness to use local personalities. I'm super big on local. I hope this doesn't sound cocky, but having lived in Raleigh, North Carolina since 88, you know, I've been able to build quite a network of friends and family and associates. You know, when I was on the air, I could go to a car lot, you know, or I could go do Fred Anderson commercial, I mean, Fred Anderson Toyota, and have 40, 50 people there at any given time or you know, there was always something going on. That happens because of being available to people. Syndicated radio, not so much. The D.L. Hughley show, as an example, had to grow on me. I'm not real fond of his stand-up. I like Ricky Smiley's stand-up just fine. Um, but D.L.'s show has grown on me. I'm not a Michael Basin fan. I like him as a person, but I think Michael has some limitations. That's a nice way to say it. But he's not, he's not a bad guy. He's not dumb at all. Not by a stretch. Just, you know, radio is not really his first love. He was doing radio as a necessity. Right. And do you think that there's a difference in morning show formats in regards to dramas like what we see in the CHR Top 40 drama with the morning zoo and what we see in urban? Yes, absolutely. You know, I kind of like the zoo format. I call it organized chaos. My morning show was organized chaos. At any given time, if it was Cy Young and the Wake Up Patrol, or if it was the Foxy Morning Show with Terry Tuff and Marvel Williams, which to me was, you know, I had begun to, to grow up as a personality and had some understanding. And it, there was a lot more intent with that show. And then all the pressure, it wasn't always on me to be funny because Terry Tuff was my guy and Terry's hilarious. And Marvel was really good <laughs> between Terry and me. She fit real well. So I was a quarterback, but sometimes Marvel quarterback because, you know, sometimes you have to shift roles. If I was into a bit and Marvel would say you guys we got to do some commercials in the news we'll be right back <laughs> and so you know she would have come all the way around to the board where I was sitting and started pushing the buttons because Terry and I were going to carry the bit way too long and you know sometimes you got to have a ringmaster right you definitely got to have that and for those of you that don't know the man who I think pretty much gave the morning zoo its legs and its popularity is the legendary Mr. Scott Shannon. He is known for yeah. he is known yeah. for taking a little station by the name of WHTZ Z100 making it from worst to first and I think it was like in 70 days or something like that. Something unheard of. Yep, he did that and I don't even know where he is now. I think he's still living but I think he's doing something different. There's a lot of um, storied history with that guy. He's an awesome, awesome talent. Yeah. Yeah, I got a chance to speak to him briefly once, tried to get him on my show. It never panned out, but I said to myself, hey, I got a chance to talk to the legendary Mr. Scott Shannon. And I had a coworker who used to work at the radio station with me for our sister station, the great 98 WTRG. She used to do radio out of Memphis at WHBQ. And this was at the time when Rick Dees was there and mm -hmm. she was working alongside Rick Dees. And when I found out that he was from North Carolina, with the school in Greensboro, Grimsley High. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. And then when Disco Duck hit, there had said stations wouldn't play it even if he wasn't in your market because you don't want to promote the competition. And I found that well, odd. Yeah, I didn't play it because it was out of the format, but it was a fun song. Back when yeah. Novelty Records was very huge. So before we close, do you have any shout-outs you want to give, plug social media, 
plug the church. Tell people where they can attend if they're there physically, if you guys are open back up, or where they can do online streaming. The Fountain of Raleigh, our website is easy. So it's T-F-O-R, The Fountain of Raleigh. The address is 9621 Six Forks Road, Raleigh, North Carolina, 27615 is the zip code. You can Google us. The pastor is Reverend Paul L. Anderson. Good word, strong teacher, and lots of love in the church. The music is banging, and the choirs will sing you straight to the gate. And so you uh, you get a chance to come on. We are an open-door church. You can come, and not that church that says, huh, you got a tie that we're going to lock you in. We don't do that. What you can do is come and have a reasonable expectation that you get blessed in the sanctuary from song or a smile or a hug. That's all pre-pandemic. So we're not having service right now. The service is online. You can find it on YouTube, too. Remember, it's the Fountain of Raleigh. The pastor is Paul L. Anderson. So that's the first plug. Second plug is for this new uh, online station, the Falcons Fly Radio, and it's abc123.com. You can go to St. Augustine's University's website, and it's right there on the first page, and click listen here, and you get a chance. And feedback is welcome. You know, if you like it, tell me. If you don't like it, tell me why, and tell me what I can do to make it better. And we're all ears. So I'm looking forward to hearing from you. I'm really glad you let me uh, hang out with you. I feel like I'm all kinds of special this evening. So thank you, man. I appreciate it. Give your social media. Where can people find you? You can find me on Facebook at Cy Young and on IG at Cy.Young919. Man, you're talking about you feeling special getting interviewed by me. I feel special you taking the time to do this interview with me because I grew up listening to you, K97, Foxy 107, 104, you, along with Don Cornelius, Donnie Simpson, Casey Kasem, Wolfman Jack, Walt Baby Love, fire me to get into broadcasting and continue with what I've been doing with um, podcasting because I lost my love for radio for a minute. But doing the podcast and getting that back up and going had me rediscovering my love and keeping my broadcasting skills sharp. So from the bottom of my heart side, I just want to say thank you. Brother, it's my pleasure. I'm really glad. And by the way, this is a really good way to keep, we call it your chops, to keep your chops sharp. So keep on because it's working. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you have the exclusive Beyond the Album Cover interview with Mr. Cy Young. This podcast can be heard on Anchor, Breaker, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you get your podcast. And coming soon, we'll have video content. So stick around for that. Thank you once again, Cy, for doing this interview. God bless you, man. Thank you.